The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Know His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. We are now in the concluding phase of our study of eschatology and God's appointed days, which we've been dealing with over the past several months. If you've been listening, then you know that we have been studying prophecy with regard to the last days through the prism of Leviticus chapter 23 and other accompanying Old Testament passages which deal with the feasts and festivals of the Jews commanded by God as his rehearsals and appointed times, which are his calendar outlining the details and timing of eschatology. With any serious consideration, for those of you who have been listening, you should by now be able to see that these feasts and festivals, these appointed times outlined and detailed in Leviticus and elsewhere, are, go hand in glove with the New Testament revelations from Paul and others regarding the last days. 
and they amount to, in effect, what are God's pre-recorded account of history in advance. They deal with the timing of what and when in some aspect of God's redemptive plan, which is going to occur at some point in time. By summary, what we have seen through Leviticus chapter 23 verses 1 through 44, Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 through 6, Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 1, and Numbers chapter 9 verses 2 through 3 all summarize at the end of the day, the following prophetical and eschatological details as seen through the Jewish feasts and festivals. We saw, number one, that the Jewish year and calendar begins in earnest in the spring-fall of the season known as Nisan. And in fact, number two, Nisan the first is the first month of the sacred Jewish year. Number three, Nisan the 10th is the timing when the Paschal Lamb is selected or Jesus' triumphal entry. Number four, we saw that the Paschal Lamb was to be inspected four days between the 10th and 14th. And in fact, we see within the Synoptic Gospels that Jesus is tested and tried by the Pharisees, scribes, and other Jews for four days with the finalization of made by Pilate himself, who says, I find no fault, referring to Jesus. Number five, we saw Nisan the 14th was when the Paschal Lamb is slain in the evening. And in fact, according to Josephus and others, we see at the exact timing that Jesus was in fact crucified and died as a propitiatory sacrifice, which is the substance of the Paschal Lamb. Number six, we saw Nisan the 15th, the uh, Passover Seder the, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where by uh, type and, uh, and substance, Jesus removes all sin, all leaven from our household, from our nature. Number seven, we saw the weekly Shabbat or Sabbath, which occurs as commanded and is a day of rest. Number eight, we saw the Feast of Firstfruits, which is the next day after the first Sabbath, where, in fact, Jesus ascends to the Father. Number nine, we saw 50 days after Shabbat, where Pentecost occurs, which is the beginning of the wheat harvest, and coincides in Acts chapter 2 with the beginning of the harvest of God's church, his elect, or the outcalled ones. Number 10, we saw via Daniel 9 and others a gap, a time of the Gentiles or the church age, wherein God is in fact carrying out this harvest, if you will, for an unknown period of time. Number 11, we came to the fall winter season feasts and festivals of Leviticus and elsewhere, with number 12, the Feast of Tishri, where we had the Feast of Trumpets, or the Hidden Day, and the conclusion of the harvest which had been going on, or the Rapture of the Church. 
Number 13, between the first and second of Tishri and the tenth of Tishri, we saw a period of time known to the Jews as Yamim Norayim, a seven-day period out of ten days, which by their orthodox definition deals with God's wrath, or the last week, seven years of Daniel's seventy weeks of years. Number 14, we saw Tishri the 10th, or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is instructive of Jesus' second coming. Number 15, we saw Nisan the 15th, or Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, which foreshadows the millennial reign uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 34. And then finally, we saw Tishri the 22nd and 23rd, referred to as Shemini Azaret and Simshat Torah, which is where Jesus teaches all things and represents the eternal state. Now, throughout this presentation, I hope and pray that those of you who are listening have been making at least some mental notes, if not some physical notes, and perhaps, as you should, you have come across some uh, questions or concerns or difficulties that you might have via pre-existing teachings or understandings of scripture or so forth, which are classic questions and concerns which others have had regarding this particular theory uh, regarding the various feasts and festivals of the Lord being an outline of the first and second coming of Christ. So, what I want to do and what I propose to do is to give you a summary of verses and arguments, first of all, in favor of a pre-tribulational rapture, which is what these feasts and festivals largely agree with. First of all, number one, we see 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, which is probably the most theologically important verse with regard to why a pre-tribulational rapture is so important. It says there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And as was pointed out in uh, earlier, the Greek grammar emphasizes and places the not at the beginning of the sentence in order to emphasize that it is definitely we are not appointed unto wrath if in fact we are God's elect, his church. So, what does this tell us? In First and Second Thessalonians, we, as you'll recall, the Thessalonian church believed that they were in the day of wrath because of the persecution and tribulation which was going on. It is because of this misunderstanding that Paul, in part, he writes the letter to the Thessalonians, wherein he corrects them by connecting eschatology and soteriology. Paul says God has not appointed his elect, i.e. the church, unto God's wrath, but salvation by and through Jesus Christ. The point here is that God's wrath will be poured out on the unregenerate world. Conversely, those who truly know Christ are covered completely by his finished work and God's wrath, which we are all due, was poured out completely on Christ in our stead. Thus, the church, 
the true church, God's elect, must be either miraculously protected and immune from God's wrath while on earth, or they must be removed prior to his wrath being poured out. Any other solution will subject God's elect to his wrath and violates and diminishes what Christ accomplished on the cross. Therefore, eschatology must bow to soteriology and any eschatology which places God's elect, the church, under and in God's wrath diminishes and violates what Christ did on the cross. There must be an exclusion for the church, for God's wrath, otherwise what Christ did was pointless. Number two, we have Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, which says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. So again, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, give a second witness testimony to the fact that God's elect, the church, are going to be saved from God's wrath when it comes. Number three, we have Leviticus chapter 23 in its entirety and the accompanying passages, which as you've seen, if you've listened to the entire series, the fall and winter feast and festivals, particularly the Feast of Trumpets, Yam Terura, and the Days of Awe, Yam Norim, point perfectly to a pre-tribulational rapture model and argue against the mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, or pre-wrath models discussed previously. Number four, we have Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 53, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. All of these various passages all provide the mention of Quote, a great sound of a trumpet, unquote. Quote, the last trump, unquote. Quote, the trump of God, unquote. And, quote, a trumpet, unquote, in connection to an event understood to be the rapture of the church. Now, classically, as we look at the commentaries from scholars uh, through the years, we never find an adequate explanation which is provided as to why the various writers of the New Testament use the reference of a trumpet. As stated earlier, either number one, the trumpet that the various New Testament writers are referencing is simply metaphorical and meant to draw the attention of the reader to something significant which is going to happen, and that's it. Or, secondarily, the other theory is that the trumpets are referring to one of, or perhaps the quote-unquote last trumpet, detailed in Revelation. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the problem with that theory is that, number one, the audiences of Matthew, the Corinthian, and Thessalonian church 
would not have been comforted by metaphors or by analogies or by anything else. They would have been scratching their head asking, what are you talking about when you refer to trumpets? That would have been the question. And B, the listeners would have no understanding or knowledge of the book of Revelation and its mentions of trumpets since Revelation had not been written at the time Matthew, 1 Corinthians, and 1 Thessalonians were written. That did not come until perhaps as long as uh, 10 to 20 or even 30 years later after these various letters were written by Paul and Matthew and so forth. So on both accounts, we have to assume that the writers and the listeners would have been thinking about something else. And as we stated, Jesus, Matthew, Paul, and John, as well as the majority of the audiences, as well as the writers, were all Jewish all of them would have been extremely familiar with the rituals and customs of the Feast and Trumpets and its historical blowing of the trumpets, including the Takaya Gedola and its meaning. Consequently, citing the sounding or blowing of, quote, the last trump, unquote, in connection with the timing of the day of the Lord and, quote, our gathering together unto him, unquote, would immediately be clearly understood to be synonymous with the timing of Yom Torura or Rosh Hashanah by the Jewish writers and audiences to whom these letters were addressed. Next, in Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39, we find an interesting comment by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who in talking to his disciples, who are ostensibly saved, who are ostensibly the elect, the church, he answers their questions as to what will the last days be like and when will be the sign of his coming and so forth. And of all the things that Jesus could talk about and reference, Jesus chooses to, of all things, the incident of Noah. In those verses, we find the following, quote, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until that day or until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, unquote. Now, you have to ask yourself, okay, if Jesus is giving that as the example of the similarity between the uh, time when he returns for his church and Noah, then what things do we find in common? Well, number one, we find the fact that God told Noah in advance when the end would come. He told Noah that when Methuselah died, that would be when he would choose to destroy the earth by flood. So there was a general timing that was involved that Noah and others who cared to listen could have known. 
secondarily, both instances show the wickedness and rebellion of man, which had reached its zenith. We see that in Noah's day, and clearly any objective, reasonable person should see it in our day. In both cases, God predicts he will pour out his holy wrath upon those in rebellion and will destroy the earth. In both cases, God selects a remnant according to his sovereign grace. In both cases, the elect in question are placed inside the covering grace and protection of Christ. In the Old Testament, that is seen by the type of the ark. Eight who are placed inside the ark by God, by God's own hand, and the door is closed by God. The flood, or God's wrath, his destruction, does not fall until God's elect are inside the Christ and are sealed. In the Old Testament, the ark. In the New Testament, the better ark, Christ himself. So clearly, the Old Testament example given by Christ is a very clear example of a pre-tribulational model. In another case, we find Luke chapter 17, verses 28 through 30. In this event, we have yet another example of Jesus, our Lord, giving clarity to his disciples as to the same question. In this case, he gives the response saying, quote, Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Unquote. So, again, Jesus, who is God, in this case compares the coming of the Son of Man to the days of Lot. Again, the wickedness and rebellion of the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah has reached its zenith. In both cases, God supernaturally removes a remnant from the midst of those who are to be judged. In both cases, it is only after God's elect are removed that God's wrath is poured out and the wicked are destroyed. Next, we have, as outlined earlier, the ancient Jewish wedding. And by summary, the ancient Jewish wedding ritual provides details whose types exactly match the model of a pre-tribulational model, i.e., among other things, the groom leaves the bride for a period of time and promises by scripted speech to return, saying, quote, I have to go. I'm going to prepare the hupa or the bridal chamber, in my father's house are many mansions, unquote. Secondly, the groom prepares a suitable living place for them at his father's house. Next, when the father is satisfied, he directs his son, the groom, to return for the bride. The bride, in the interim, remains busy preparing her wedding gown, making it white and pure. Next, the groom actually returns, usually late at night, with shouting, with a trumpet, and which is ceremonially blown and ceremonially abducts the bride, taking her to the father's house. Next, the bride and groom remain sequestered in their father's house, and even today, by orthodox 
tradition and habit, that period of sequestering is for seven days. Finally, after seven days, the bride and groom return to the remaining wedding party for their wedding supper. So, throughout that historical and cultural Orthodox Jewish ancient wedding, we clearly see again a model of the pre-tribulational rapture and return of Christ. This concludes this episode for the time being. If you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I would encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh, oh.